the whole war on obesity is a war on people. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be an uphill battle. We are really not healthy. I want to be taken seriously, no matter what my weight. So you're always in like this low-level crisis, pitting your regular bills against whether or not you're going to buy healthy food for your kids. So obesity is a complex disease. The question is, do we have an environment that supports responsible decision? And is a greater public health challenge than anything else, than any virus, any other disease, and even terrorism. In 1994, Dr. Kelly Brownell proposed a tax on unhealthy foods like sugary drinks, low-nutrition products, compelling people who chose to eat unhealthy foods to pay the health care costs and to use the tax to counter the sugary incentive to visit the Shake Shack. In the 90s, before there were Shake Shacks, when obesity was making a steep rise in the population, this was not well-received. Today, though, what's widely known as the soda tax has been adopted in many countries and in several states across the U.S., Berkeley, California, Cook County, Illinois, as a way to combat obesity. But it's also faced some effective challenges in court and in political unpopularity. Mary Harris, health reporter for WNYC and co-host of the podcast Only Human, spoke to the doctor who started it all, Kelly Brownell. The doctor is currently dean of the Sanford School of Public Policy at Duke University. Taxes have been used to improve health in, in a number of domains. Probably the most notable one uh, would be the high taxes on cigarettes. Uh, that has been hugely successful in driving down rates of smoking in the U.S. and has saved lots of lives and, and a lot of money. And so the question is, might that same model apply in the food and nutrition area? And back in 1994, when I wrote that piece, I thought, yes, it probably could apply. And could we start thinking about using taxes and perhaps subsidies after that to try to adjust the price of food so that healthy foods cost less and perhaps unhealthy foods would cost more? What reaction did you get to this piece at the time? Boy, did I get blistered. Um, Rush Limbaugh and other conservative commentators uh, went after me in a big way. Wall Street Journal wrote a critical editorial about the concept. But then over over time, people began warming up to the idea. Now we're at a much different place. Yeah. When did people start warming up? Do you remember when the seas started to change a bit? I would say the sea change occurred in 2009. Several things happened then. The economy was in pretty dire circumstances, and that was leading legislators around the country to find ways to raise revenue for government uh, just so it could function. And taxes, of course, become the primary means of doing that. Uh, And what better way to think of a tax is something that would not only raise revenue but lower health care costs. And that's why the tax came into the fore again, especially uh, thinking about applying taxes to sugared beverages or what people have come to call a soda tax. And one of the reasons that um, soda taxes have been the primary means of thinking this through is that the science is most robust on that. That is, the links between sugar-sweetened beverage consumption and diseases like obesity and diabetes are pretty much rock solid. You know, here in New York, the soda companies managed to succeed in defeating Mayor Bloomberg's attempt to reduce soda size. A little bit different, but the same sort of idea. And they framed the issue as one of choice, like you have a right to a soda as big as you want, which is a pretty appealing message. The very same argument was made by the tobacco companies when things like taxes started uh, getting considered. That is that Whether people smoke or not was a personal decision. Government didn't belong in that space, and therefore we should let the companies do what they wished. 
and capitalism would reign supreme. The nation changed its mind a lot on that and decided the government did belong in that space because we were all paying for the the high cost of, of the diseases caused by tobacco. And now more and more people are thinking that the high cost uh, caused by unhealthy diets are being borne by everybody in the country, whether or not they happen to be affected by such diets. And therefore, more and more, we are giving government permission to act on our behalf in that way. But it does raise this issue of personal responsibility because no one's talking about taxing ice cream or candy or fast food. Very often, the personal responsibility argument gets raised here. And of course, personal responsibility is extremely important. The question is, uh, do we have an environment that supports responsible decision or undermines responsible decisions? And with food, it's clearly the, the latter. We have portion sizes that are extremely large, uh, pricing incentives to buy unhealthy food, tremendously powerful marketing forces are occurring, and that just begins the list. So if we're going to treat food companies the same way we treated cigarette companies, what does it tell us about what's going to happen now? The food companies very much do not want to be tarred with that same brush that the tobacco companies got tarred with. They don't want to be considered immoral and ethical, lying about science and things like that. So they're doing everything they can to avoid that parallel. But if you look at the script the tobacco industry followed when they were fighting public health measures and then put next to it the script that the food industry is following now, there are an awful lot of similarities. Uh, distorting the science, not so much today, but not long ago, lying about the science on things like sugared beverage consumption and risk for disease, Um, cynical behavior through their trade association when things like taxes are being considered in a community, like making donations to community-related organizations who then lobby against the tax. The scripts look very similar. So in my mind, if the food industry doesn't want to be considered in the same uh, breath as the tobacco industry, they shouldn't be behaving in those ways. Sugar, just like tobacco, is this thing that brings people joy. And it's really hard to fight back against that because people love this stuff. Sugar is a particularly interesting actor. Not only does it bring pleasure uh, and and it, it makes lots of foods taste good, that's why we consume so much, But there's also very interesting research looking at how sugar acts on the brain. The research with using both uh, lab studies with animals and lots of human studies using brain imaging techniques show that, that sugar tends to activate similar pathways in the brain that get activated by traditional substances of abuse, let's say morphine or heroin. Now, nobody would argue that sugar has as a powerful effect as those substances, but it seems to have somewhat similar effects. And so craving for sugar withdrawal when people stop consuming sugar have been fairly well documented. And now there's really interesting research beginning on whether tolerance for sugar develops. That is, do you need more of it over time to create the same impact on the brain and therefore give you the same amount of pleasure? And if that's shown to be the case, that combined with the other things that I mentioned before could build a pretty strong case that sugar is hijacking the brain. That's the the term used by substance abuse researchers in a smaller way, again, than traditional substances of abuse, but happening nonetheless. And the question then is, do we do anything about that? Do we take that into account when we think about public policy? Kelly Brennell, Dean of the Sanford School of Public Policy at Duke University, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure to be with you.
Tomorrow, we'll look specifically at the role of marketing and social media targeted towards kids and what we can do about it. That's tomorrow in our series on obesity. And we want to remind you about an event we're hosting in the New York metro area. Come be an audience member in the WNYC green space for the other F word, the politics of being fat in America. The event is being moderated by feminist writer Lindy West with guest Ashley Nell Tipton, the winner of Project Runway Season 14, an open and honest conversation about being overweight in America. Get your tickets today at WNYC.org slash the green space, or you can look for us on Twitter. We'll have the link to the tickets page pinned to the top of our account. NYC Now delivers breaking news, top headlines and in-depth coverage from WNYC and Gothamist every morning, midday and evening. By sponsoring our programming, you'll reach a community of passionate listeners in an uncluttered audio experience. Visit sponsorship.wnyc.org to learn more.